0: Welcome back to the Lawali Life Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, talking about the greatest stresses and losses and challenges they've had to overcome, and how they came back from them, with tips and inspiration from how you can come back through yours. I talk mainly about stress and loss in this podcast and focus largely on stress because It's a fate we all share to go through stress and to experience loss. So I want to bring you amazing speakers from around the world to share with you their inspiring stories to make you realize that we can all come through our own and there are little tiny things we can do every day to keep us at our best before i introduce this week's wonderful guest i wanted to let you all know as incredibly supportive listeners of the podcast i have a gift for you this week which is one month totally free trial in the membership so all you have to do is input the code calm 100 into checkout and come and be part of the membership for a month use the meditations have some online sessions with me and everyone else and see what it's like and i'd love to see you there so, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. It really means the world. My guest today is Jamie Clements. Jamie is the first breathwork coach I've had on the podcast, and I'm really excited about this episode. He's also a mental health advocate, particularly for men. Having founded the Breath Space and the Man Down podcast, Jamie's work is really centered around emotional awareness and integration through vulnerability with a massive focus looking at masculinity, breath work. I really loved this conversation. It was really open honest, breaking down, you know, the need for this lack of man-up culture, what that really means, how that experience came about for Jamie and how it's now manifested as all the work he does. Um, it's really, it was a great conversation and I really hope you enjoy Thank you so much for um coming on the podcast it's um you're the first breath worker I've had on so I'm really excited because Amazing. I've been wanting to speak to someone about breath and I find it all super interesting so um before we get into that though I'd love to just because obviously you're an entrepreneur as well looking at things you do I was like well how does this all work together and how do you sort of get from there to here
1: <laughs> yeah it's a very good question um so I suppose my my work, my yeah, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship um, is made up of a few different things. So my background was startups. So I was in startups uh, for the last best part of six years, um, tech startups, um, and then started a business with a couple of friends about three years ago in the hospitality space, which is obviously taken a bit of a backseat the last year or so. And yeah. it's now starting to slowly creep back in. Um, And then worked most recently for a a financial technology company, a startup started by one of the guys who founded Monzo. Which I don't know how in the world I ended up in in the space that I'm now in, but I do know. Um, So I everything I do at the moment. So my work is really made up of um, the breath space, which is my breathwork practice, and Man Down, which is my podcast. We're focused on men's mental health and masculinity, and those two really both came from the same thing, which was my experience and my journey with my own mental health. So I suffered, um, with anxiety and panic attacks and also depression for the best part of 10 years. And, um, there was a single day in 2019 that, um, I decided that I wanted to start this podcast and train to teach breath work. And just so happened that it was on exactly the same day at the same event. Um, and really everything that I do, I think people sometimes even struggle a little bit to see the, the crossover between my work with the podcast and my work with Breathwork. But at a high, a high, high level, my goal, my ambition, my mission to a certain extent is to change the way we talk and think about mental health. So that's sort of where the podcast comes in. But then also how we treat and look after our mental health so that's where breathwork comes in and it's all about this holistic more preventative well-rounded self-awareness approach to knowing ourselves and looking after our our minds so that is a, a longish short version of what I do
0: yeah I love I love that I mean it's the um I think they were saying, you know, looking at your podcast and Breath Live, I can totally see how that goes together because it's, you know, the combination of mental health and then the actual practices to deal with it. So, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. But, okay. So, your own journey, obviously, you're talking about those 10 years. That was obviously mm. a really tricky time for you. I always ask people, you know, what's the greatest stress or loss they've personally had to overcome and how did they come back from that? So, was that particular period yours?
1: I'd, I'd say so. I, I think hindsight is uh, as, as we always say a, a wonderful thing and i definitely so that 10 year period for me spans the age of 15 to 25 um and at the age of 15 through to probably about 20 i didn't know what mental health was which sounds ridiculous now that i'm literally the the person at the dinner table who never shuts up about it. Um, I don't think
0: I did it at fifty. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, I I think the the conversation just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so it's only in hindsight that I can look at what I was feeling and what I went through at that time as you know, suffering with my mental health. And um, so for me, it kind of ties back to my parents' divorce when I was 15. And that for me without, and I'm always very careful, this isn't about blame. This isn't saying, I can't believe they did that to me because they didn't do anything to me. They did what was right for them. And it manifested in a very difficult experience for me, which is just life at the end of the day. And um, that really, yeah, kind of led into um the anxiety and the panic attacks and i'd probably say the period sort of towards the end of that 10 year stint when i was 24 turning 25 was probably the hardest the hardest period because i was suddenly very aware of what i was going through and unable really to do anything about it. And it was only those last couple of years where I started having panic attacks. And I think the panic attacks were probably the the hardest element of that. Um, I also, in 2019, and this sort of ties into my own journey with the podcast and with my mental health, um, lost a friend from school to suicide, which was a big driver behind taking it from something that I talked about in my own head and with my fa- family to something that I really felt I wanted to do something about on a on a bigger scale, because I'd always been interested in psychology, the mind, everything around that, but I didn't know or have really that drive or that passion to take it to to other people and and sort of put myself out there to a certain extent, because I do feel like you sometimes need that push or that extra grit and drive to take it from just an idea to something a bit more tangible.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, so for you at 25, as a man, mm. how did you start to voice to anyone at first that you were struggling with this? Because obviously this is one of the big areas and topics of, you know, I know myself from my dad had um, depression before um, for his final four years. And he just didn't get didn't refuse to get help, even though he was grieving for my sister. It was like he was obviously a different generation, but even more so. It's like, like no. I can deal with this myself. I'm a man kind of thing. Yeah. And so I've seen it play out in so many different things and ways and talk to people about it. So for you, obviously that's a huge driver behind your podcast. So yeah. what was that experience for you and actually being able to say like, I've got a situation going on within me. I need some help. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. I think the generational element um, that you touched on, cause I put up a, probably the most open and vulnerable post that i've ever put on social media a couple of weeks ago just saying you know what yeah i talk about this stuff all the time but i need to practice what i preach and i'm actually not feeling good right now and sort of putting that out there with a picture of me crying which i think resonated with a lot of people and i had a phone call from my mom and my dad separately within about five minutes of posting it and my dad and this is purely generational um said, you know, well, I'm glad that you felt comfortable posting it. That's not how I would deal with it, but I'm glad that you were able to do that. And I'm just like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense as a a man in his 60s. I'm sure he won't hate me too much for saying that on a podcast, but um, (laughs) it is just such a glaring difference as to what we're starting to see now. But we do also see a legacy of that in young men today and the way in which we think about and talk about masculinity. And um, to actually answer your question, rather than going off on other tangents, um, it was unfortunately um, and rather sadly losing my friend's suicide that was the turning point. So I, I'm very close with my mum. I've always spoken to my mum and. Girlfriends in the past about my mental health, and I've I've been quite comfortable with that. Um, growing up in a house with just my mum and my sister, I got quite comfortable and being open with with women in my life that I trusted and felt uh, more comfortable with. But it wasn't until it, and it was actually really quite quick in terms of how this happened. We were at um, the pub two days after um, George died, and that was the first time and I'd been friends with some of these guys for the best part of 15 to 20 years. And it was the first time that I ever mentioned what I'd been dealing with and going through myself. And it was incredibly scary, but also liberating and felt weirdly easy in that moment. It felt so small compared to what we were all going through as a collective. Um, and all of a sudden it gave not only kind of a deeper connection with the people that I was with, but also, um, and I talk about this quite a lot and it's sort of a big driving force behind the podcast. It it gave everyone else permission to be like, Oh, you know what? Me too kind of thing. And it really was, I talk about like this, uh, contagious nature of, of vulnerability, the virality of it. Um, so that was really the first moment. And then on, on a public level, um, it was about six months after that, where, again, posted on social media. Uh, and I remember the, the very moment I hit posts and I sort of, it was just a, a bit of a stream of consciousness about what I'd been through, sort of threw my phone across the room, started crying, went on a walk, came back to, you know, a flood of messages from people, people that I knew really well, people that I didn't know really well, people I was not expecting to hear from. And it was all support. And that for me was just like that this is why we need this. And and this is validating in the sense that I had, you know, more than a few messages from people saying, thanks so much for this. Can we have a chat? Like let's grab a coffee. And people again opening up to me, them having that permission to feel comfortable expressing their own vulnerabilities their own struggles so um yeah a bit of a and I think unfortunately for a lot of people this isn't men specific it really takes something like that a big tragic event to realize that we need to do something differently um so yeah that's sort of where it all came from
0: yeah I totally I totally agree with that I mean it must have obviously been such a shock for you to lose your friend to suicide as it is for most people who lose someone they love to suicide and the whole aspect of how that brought out your own vulnerability in a space for people to share their own struggles is is really something I'm sure George will now think is an amazing amazing sort of legacy of his which is incredible Mm -hmm. but I mean talking about like you know you say vulnerability of men because I mean that is such a that's such a fun topic because it is so in, <laughs> it is so interesting. In that, I don't even just think for men. I mean, vulnerability for humanity today seems to be in the West, anyway. Such a struggle. Um, yeah. it's come a long way. Brene Brown's um, you know Netflix to talk on vulnerability TED talk was just wonderful. Did like huge leaps and bounds for that, and people being like, oh, "Okay, amazing." But yeah. for you, what do you find as like the sort of power and vulnerability?
1: I think um, it's a quote and I, I cannot, and I will have to apologise to them in retrospect. I cannot remember who. Um, it's from, it's one of those ones where it's in a book, but it's the author quoting someone else. So I, I don't want to give credit to the author, but the book is um, <laughs> The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which is an oh, incredible, I love that book. Book. Yeah. incredible book. book. Incredible book. But he's quoting someone else and the quote is, the sources of our greatest suffering are the lies we tell ourselves and I think that for me is the crux of of what it's all about I think any time that you are suffering internally where something doesn't feel aligned within yourself it's because you're not being completely honest with yourself and that's what vulnerability is it's full openness full transparency full honesty with yourself and with others and I don't think we can realistically expect ourselves to be open with other people if we can't be fully honest with ourselves and I think that is the process that I had to go through and lots of people I know have been through to get to that point where they feel comfortable with it the power of that is to come back to something I mentioned a couple of times it's the permission that it gives to other people I think that is it it's um the humanity of it, I think, allowing other people to see you and and then see themselves and feel seen in themselves, I think, is is really powerful. The the level of connection it can provide in a quick space of time um, is tangible. It's real. You can really really feel it, and that's something that I've seen. I've, I've become. Really, quite close with people that I've had on the podcast. Some of some of whom I've only actually met in person once or twice, just because of the types of conversations that we've had. And um, yeah, when it comes to to men and and the work that I do in that space, there is a real lack of that to a certain extent. And uh, I think we're starting to to make progress, but there is still a society a systemic level blocker around allowing men to be properly vulnerable because there is still a lot of work to be done around what we view as strength and what we view as um good and and manly which is not even a word I really like to throw around <laughs> because it doesn't mean what people think it means when when I say it so yeah I think that is that's the power of it it's just being able to be truth, truthful to yourself, truthful with others and, and give them the permission and uh, lead by example, I think is probably the best way to to think about it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it's so true. Like you say, seeing yourself and others, I think that's mm. like one of the most it's one of the most rewarding things about being open when you, because I think it's, you know, we don't accept ourselves until we do the work fully. Like you have to accept the good and bad in you. And I don't mean bad. I mean the shadow parts that we all mm. need to, you know, go into and learn about. And if we keep pushing those away, then we'll never fully accept ourselves. And like you say, how can you, you know, um, open up if you don't even open up to yourself? I like that the way you said that. I think that's so, so true. Um, so talking about the male side of things, I think, you know, it's interesting because actually last night my event was on superwoman syndrome, which is a concept I've talked about and been working on recently, which is kind of the opposite side, just about the sort of pressures on women um, these days to now that we can be and do anything we want to have to be and do everything at the same time and just the different factors. So it was a really like interesting, vulnerable sort of space that was created. And the other side of that, obviously, is the same thing for men, but just in a totally opposite effect. And so... What do you think are the main like struggles that men still face today of our generation, particularly to you know open up in that way?
1: It's it's such a, an interesting one because uh, I think I'll come to this fully in a second, but it's about finding balance. I think on on both sides, and this is male and female. Um, but for guys, and um, I've spoken a lot about this over over the last couple of years, but the crux of it is about um, Emotional emotional awareness, and on the flip side to that, the shadow of that emotional repression. So we are taught, we are raised as men to to repress, to push down. And um, there's an amazing podcast with a woman called uh, Cassia Abaniak that she did with Russell Cain, uh, Russell Kane, Russell Brand. Sorry, Russell Kane, not you. Um, and the quote that I always come back to that she raises is. Um, when we tell, when we say that someone is acting like a girl, what we're saying is that they are outwardly expressing their inner emotional experience. And when we tell someone to act like a man, we are asking them to push down their inner emotional experience. And I think that is the crux of it is that we expect that of boys and that is a heavy weight to carry. Um, and it's a societal expectation that really pushes men to a point where not only are we disconnected from our inner emotional experience, but we it goes so far that I think a lot of men don't even know what they're feeling. The disconnection is so vast that they don't even know. And that I think is is where I come to in the sense that the advice is often to talk. Like you just need to open up. Uh, We're missing a step there. Like it's not about just talking because so many of us don't know what we're going through. It's this, the, the mental health issues that we, I see in a lot of men aren't about massive lows or massive highs. It's about numbness. It's about non-feeling. It's about feeling this sort of grayness where you've cut yourself off from the, the big lows and the big highs, and you're just not feeling much at all. And so it's about relearning and and showing men that it's okay to, feel and also reconnecting into those feelings which is where again slightly biased but breath work can be so powerful um because your your ego mind and your conscious thinking mind sort of steps aside for a second and allows you to feel um and really yeah it's it's about balance at the heart of it because you know if we think about what you're saying around that super super woman syndrome um and also at the other end with with men there is space starting to come up to allow men to be more vulnerable and to allow men to be more in their, if we're going going into energy, sort of in their feminine energy. Because, and I think this is, again, just strip it back even further, like we all possess masculine and feminine energy. Um, and it's about finding balance within those. But I do think we have to create a society and this is a male and female uh, thing within our system, we have to create a space where that is accepted by people. It's not just good enough to say to a man, okay, be vulnerable. And he then starts opening up and being really sensitive and emotionally aware, emotionally available. The shadow side of that on the, the female side of it is actually the patriarchal system has created a system where they are expecting a strong alpha who doesn't show his emotions. And that is really difficult to to hold space for if you've never experienced it before. And so I think there's a a kind of a lot of conversations I've had around sort of sex and relationships where, and I get it's a Brené Brown uh, quote that I can't fully remember, but she talks about that need for people to do their work individually so that As a man, you're not going into something, into a relationship with a woman trying to fix every problem. But as a woman, you're also doing the work to allow a man to show up vulnerably and openly um, so that you don't derive your strength from him because that's where that balance can come, where you do want to be strong and in your masculine as a woman, but also be able to be soft and in your feminine. And it's that fluctuation, that, that push and pull that can be so important within a relationship and that was a very long my mind went on a real kind of loop (laughs) to loop so I hope I hope that somewhat answered the question
0: no totally actually it's funny just going back a little bit when you talked about Mm. Kaisia Urbanyak um, I was actually thinking of an example of her in my head before you said her and I was like (laughs) yes because I remember something she was speaking about talking about how that initial thing that girls and boys are taught is you know, girls should be quiet and seen and not heard. So we become introverted and really go into our emotions from an unconsciously at a young age. Whereas boys are told that to achieve, you have to hit that ball and go running and they go outward. And Mm -hmm. so do the exact opposite. It was really interesting when she said that. And I thought that makes so much sense that, obviously I'm not saying like, but, you know, naturally women you know, that's where it all comes from. People say women are more emotional. They've been taught to have to (laughs) go inward because they've been told to be seen and not heard at some stage. And then, you know, men have been taught to go outward and not look inward at such a young age. It's so, like you say, it's coming back to that balance and actually realising that we both need both and Mm. how to, you know, counteract that. But talking about, so obviously, body, um, body balance, so breath work like you said you know it is it's an incredible incredible tool but something we all have but a lot of people aren't even breathing properly so I mean why do you think humans are firstly so out of sync with one of the world's greatest free remedies that we all possess
1: uh it's (laughs) it's a really good question and something I ask myself very often because I think and I'm as guilty as this um guilty at this as a a lot of other people in that if something is too complicated, oh, that's too complicated. I couldn't possibly engage with that. If something's too simple, that I mean, how can that be possible? It's, it's way true. too <laughs> simple. It's too. Nah, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. We kind of want something that is we can understand, but is semi-complicated, so that you know, if someone asks, "Oh, how does that work?" they can say, "Well, I went through this." cognitive behavioral therapy process where I reframed my thoughts and rewired my neural pathways. And it's, you know, I'm a big advocate of CBT, but I do think we like having that rational explanation of things and breath work can be a little bit more intangible, a little bit more uh, ineffable in some senses. Um, but I think at a very basic level with with breath, there are kind of just developmental things that have have meant that we have begun, begun breathing in a way that isn't optimal for our physical health at a very basic level, but also our mental and emotional health because the breath is a very significant link between the physical and the mental and emotional. Um, so I suppose the, the thing that I see quite a lot of um, is this, I suppose, hyper-stimulation and Russell Brand talked about it in a documentary as um, feeling like society has jump leads on his consciousness. And it's just like <laughs> traffic, news, social media, podcasts, love podcasts. But there's a lot going in. There's so much, so many, um, stimu- so many stimulants that um, our nervous system becomes hypersensitive and uh, overstimulated by... Uh, all of those things that that activates that stress response. And a lot of us will be breathing, if we think about our stress response, as being characterized by lots of different physical symptoms, but relating to the breath, a short, shallow, fast chest breath. Um, so stress response equals chest breath, but in reverse, chest breath also equals stress response. So we end up in this vicious cycle of this endless loop of whether you are starting with anxious thoughts and overstimulation and ending up with a dysfunctional breathing pattern in a short, shallow chest breath, or if you're starting with a dysfunctional breathing pattern and causing yourself anxiety, you end up in this constant loop. And so that for me is one of the most common things that I see is we've just forgotten how to to breathe. And not even that we've forgotten, we've just been pushed into a, a way that is is suboptimal for us. And so that is where I would always start with talking to anyone about breath work because it has become quite a broad term as it's gained popularity. Um, but the fundamentals of breathing and breath work are about understanding and becoming aware of how your breath is moving and what that means and how we can change it at a, a physical and functional level to correct any of those dysfunctions so yeah I think that's where we're at at the moment and um yeah there's obviously lots of weird and wonderful things we can do with the breath beyond that
0: yeah I mean so what, what do you say it's like one what's your favorite day-to-day little breath exercise the simple one that people will ignore <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah a really simple one that no one will ever do because it seems too good to be true so um there's a really uh simple, really simple (laughs) one. Um, something called coherent breathing, which is a practice that you can do for five, to 10 minutes, a couple of times a day that will, um, have if, if done consistently. And again, this is all about, this isn't about quick fixes. This is about what my mom actually said, have you ever described it as people, uh, taking their breath to the gym? I was like, no, but I'm going to. So I you like wouldn't that. yeah, you wouldn't go to the gym once. You wouldn't just do a breathwork exercise once. If you want to reap the benefits, it's something that you need to build into habit and routine. But coherent breathing is um, quite simply breathing in through the nose for five seconds and out of either your nose or your mouth for five seconds. Uh, but with that, coupled with that, you want to be breathing with your diaphragm, with your belly, because um, as I'm sure quite a lot of people will know, diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing is... The quickest way to activate what's called your parasympathetic response, which is your rest and digest response, the antithesis of your stress response. So, belly breathing in through the nose for five, out through the nose or mouth for five, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. And what we're doing with that is just reducing our breathing rate, activating that rest and digest response. And, um, One of the, I suppose, measurables of that that you might see if you wear like any kind of sleep tracker or uh, like a whoop band like I've got or an aura ring like I know a lot of people wear um, is an increase in heart rate variability. So heart rate variability is probably the only, one of the only, metrics that we can actively measure that monitors our ability to respond to stress. So if you want a number, as I know a lot of us like numbers and, and <laughs> figures, to measure your mental and emotional health, heart rate variability is a very good place to start. So yeah, coherent breathing in for five, out for five is a really simple and, and good way, an effective way to to kind of get into the realms of breathwork.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's so funny though, isn't it? Because you you know these these simple things for example people will try them and then realize obviously the benefits once they've tried them but you can just notice from just getting in sync with your body like diaphragmatic breath I know when I've not done enough diaphragmatic breath um in a recent time because my diaphragm literally gets tight and I find it harder to do diaphragmatic yeah. breath so I'm like oh, well, Alice you've skipped two days that was not good you know I yeah. meditate every day but sometimes I don't do my diaphragm and it's really um yeah it's interesting because these little things are just like you say they're like little daily life changes to remind your body how to actually act or your mind how you can act and all these things yeah as opposed to this huge huge process but I mean talking about huge processes in Mm -hmm. breath obviously breath work can help with things like trauma um, do you, do you work with trauma and breath work and what kind of aspect does that allow to like release, you know, essentially sort of cellular trauma through your body?
1: Yeah. So this is kind of, um, where I get, I suppose, more excited about <laughs> breath work because, uh, you know, you've got almost the two ends of the spectrum where we're thinking about simple breathing protocols and practices that can help you day to day, moment to moment, Um, which are fantastic and invaluable. Uh, And then we've got sort of what I talk about. The other end is, um, yeah, breathwork for emotional integration, breathwork for emotional release. Uh, It gets called and talked about in a lot of different ways, but it's centered around a technique called conscious connected breathing. Um, So this is really where I fell in love with breathwork and where I saw, you know, big value and big shifts in myself through breathwork. So what we're doing, with these deeper healing modalities of breath work is, uh, and it's exciting because the research is starting to come through, but it is still very, very much new as far as hard scientific research goes. Um, But the theory and what we see in practice is that it's about getting people out of their heads and into their bodies. It's an embodiment practice, and it's also a somatic form of therapy, so a body-focused therapy um, that is also... <clears throat> trauma informed. Um, so, the best way to think about it is that when we, and it comes back, and this is where the, the Venn diagram between the podcast and breathwork starts to become a little bit clearer, it comes back to emotional repression. So, anytime we cut ourselves off from uh, an emotion, either consciously or unconsciously, if we think about emotions as energy and motion, that energy gets lodged or blocked in the body and starts to manifest as physical pain and ailments, in some cases, disease, um, but also mental and emotional pain. Um, and what we can do with our breath is connect into the body, the physical and the emotional body, and clear and process that blocked emotional energy, or in some cases, trauma as well. Um so again, to come back to that book, the body keeps the score. We're seeing more and more in terms of modern trauma-informed therapy that talks about the role of the body in trauma and in emotional pain, and um, the th- and this is again theory and the research. I'm hoping is going to start flooding through. But um, there's a phenomena called transient hyperfrontality, which is about the downregulation of the prefrontal cortex, and um, What we're seeing with breathwork is that there's a a system or a a group of systems within the brain called the default mode network, which is sort of the seat of the ego, the seat of conscious thoughts. And it's thought that we can downregulate or quieten activity in that part of the brain, which then allows repressed memories, emotions, other parts of the brain to become more active. And so that, for anyone who's a little bit more like me, left brain, analytical, scientific, maybe even skeptical in some cases, that is what we think is going on. So we're really bypassing that conscious internal chatter, the monkey mind, and getting really stuck into the body. uh, And that's where things start to happen. So emotional release in some cases, uh, an almost psychedelic type experience, um, and really just yeah, the, the, the good stuff starts to come through and, um, yeah, it's incredible to see the the shifts that people can experience through it.
0: It's so interesting. Actually, I don't know what type I did. Cause I did one breath work workshop that was like really, you know, intense. It was like, a, mm-hmm. I think it was called, it was called transform. Transformational breath, work yeah. was it? One of those, and I definitely when you said psychedelic experience, that that was something I had. I was like, I was having visions. I was like, what's going on? And yeah. it was amazing. Like it really was amazing, and I definitely felt like a, a huge release afterwards. I actually would love to do another another round. So maybe <laughs> I'll get in contact with you because yeah, it's. um I definitely think you know, I I felt, for example thinking about how, you know, trauma is stored in the body and how your breath can really, you know, take a sort of down downturn after those, those situations. I mean, I know from, and I lost my sister and my dad. And my sister I lost when I was 25. And it was that time when everyone was still sort of going out and it was very easy to just sort of let it get swept under the rug. And I actually have realised since having lost my dad at a time when I'm, properly doing all this work and I'm continually you know processing things in the most healthy way Mm -hmm. as painful as that was I've realized that some of that stuff that was stuck in my body from back then was still coming out in the last you know two years because I didn't process it in the right way and it's just it's so fascinating to me how literally like that book says the body totally holds the score and I think I'm still trying to you know push through some bits in mine still now which is, is it's amazing
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and I think um there are always um there are always things that we can work through and I think that's what I've seen in myself and in a lot of other people is it's just I talk about it it's like peeling away the layers of the onion you're just getting gradually a little bit deeper and you know you'll have sessions where there's a big flood of release or you'll have sessions where you'll come around you'll be like that was nice but nothing really happened and there's always things happening, whether you're conscious of it or not. There's always movement. There's always sensations. There's always some kind of processing that takes place. So, um, yeah, I'm incredibly kind of passionate about it in case people can tell and sort of the, the power of, of what it can do, because I very much came from a skeptical perspective with this stuff. I would four, three, four years ago would have kind of laughed at anyone who, you know, told me that I was a spiritual person or whatever like that. And now I'm very much kind of fully involved in in this kind of work, which is just goes to show the the power and, and the effect of it, because I do really genuinely believe in it.
0: Mm. I think that's um, that's such a great point. It's funny because I think a lot of people have this impression that potentially, you know, people in this space or whatever that capacity it is, like mine, yours, um, various aspects, that they were – Perhaps just born thinking that way, and that that someone couldn't possibly think the way they do now because it's so far away from what they you know currently think. You think, no, no, <laughs> I want I want to skeptical about certain things and this and that, and it's it's so true. It's literally like the onion layers peeling off.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think with breath work, um, this is again where where it can be so powerful. and oh. Why I think the popularity is growing is because it's not something that you have to do for a very long time to get uh, an an experience or an effect or an outcome. And the other part of that is quite often you'll get physical sensations and that is a shortfire way to get anybody to believe that something is working is when you start to feel things in your body. Um, And so that again, for everybody, but also for men is a really good way to dig into what might be going on because you don't have to sit with your own thoughts or go to a therapist and open up you can actually without even talking start to dig into emotional baggage and trauma and and things that might have been blocked off or pushed down
0: yeah which is amazing because like you say sometimes sometimes people don't don't want to talk they want to have some kind of physical experience like you say in that release which is really cool so you touched on spirituality before so Mm. i always ask everyone this what does spirituality personally mean to you
1: it's a, it's a great question. It's one I ask myself regularly. And I actually just um, was talking to my, my partner about um, language and the importance of language when it comes to these things. Because obviously language is key in just getting a point or a message across or describing something. But language can also be quite alienating to people. And I think I, I certainly find myself hesitant hesitant at times to talk about myself as a spiritual person i i think as a, as a man especially as someone who's from you know pretty masculine background played a lot of rugby growing up i think it was just something i was relatively uh, uh there was fear there there still is fear that of, of judgment of, of people thinking that i'm you know woo woo or that i'm losing it or whatever it might be um and that still is there but i think in terms of what it means to me is quite literally just uh not literally i think that's probably the wrong word <laughs> um i suppose an understanding and appreciation of things outside of myself that i don't understand and that are there that i will never be able to put a label on or see or feel but can experience I think it's that kind of connection to what's going on around you and actually had a guy called Mark Whittle uh, as a guest on my podcast recently and I asked him that question um, because we're from quite similar sort of sports backgrounds uh, corporate backgrounds etc and he said that we all have a relationship with spirituality whether we Think we do or not. It's just whether you choose to accept and be aware of, you know, if we think about the law of attraction or the M-word manifestation that I know rubs so many people up the wrong way. But <laughs> I've seen these things in my life. And I think that's where, you know, you can no longer ignore them when you start to see them taking place. Like I had um Tom Odell on my podcast, a Musician, and Three days before his management reached out to me, I was writing a list of musicians that I wanted to have on my podcast and he was one of them. And three days later, I got a message from someone at Sony Records asking if I wanted to have Tom on the podcast. And I said, well, yeah, because he's on my list. So, um, (laughs) but once you start to see those things happening and, um, a bigger, an understanding of things that are bigger than yourself, I think that's, that's what it means to me. I think.
0: Yeah no I love that it's I always say you know personally to you because it obviously has a different meaning to everyone with some sort of thread of connection and it's interesting because like you say taking a look at the outside side of spirituality and actually becoming aware of these little things that happen it sort of I always say it comes back to like on that side that we are all sensory beings you know we are we are all sensory, but we've totally learned from a young age to block off our senses, which is such Mm. a huge part of us, our spiritual senses, our energetic senses, and our bodily senses. Um, Instead of just going straight for the mind, you know, it's (laughs) logic, this, this, and that. But to even go into, like, your feelings, you can experience, you know, those inner knowings of the intuition as part of the senses as well. And it's, um, like you say, it's just becoming aware of those little things, like, Oh, okay. Maybe that wasn't a coincidence. I hate that word because I hate yeah. coincidences. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, Jamie, it's been so wonderful speaking to you. So, to finish, I'd love to ask you, what is one sort of mantra, as it were, or intention that kind of keeps you on track, that keeps you going, or inspires you?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, the one i keep coming back to and I, I think this is because the last few months have been tricky for me in terms of my my own um emotional and mental health um is uh that old adage of of this too will pass and an understanding of of when you're in the the depths of it the storm you know it will pass and i'm really holding on to that with with both hands because i know that it, it will and it's always funny when you're in it it never feels like it will and then when you're out the other side of it you're like oh, what was i crying about again? <laughs> um so that's a, a big one for me and then i think the other one that i suppose is more of a new philosophy that i'm trying to base the way i live and think around is um and it comes back, I suppose, a little bit to uh, these trauma-informed therapies is, is thinking not about what's wrong with you, but but more what happened to you. So looking at myself, looking at everyone with that lens of, okay, you're acting in this way, what happened to you rather than going, God, what's wrong with you? Um, so that is something that I'm really trying to kind of hold on to, especially as I dig into some of my own stuff at the moment, because I know when I feel severe anxiety or whatever it might be, I can get quite self, there's a lot of self-blame. So, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Sort it out. And it's really important to be like, no, what happened? Why are we here? What has gone before? Um, So yeah, I think those two off the top of my head. um, I'm sure there are a few others, but yeah, those are the ones that came up for me.
0: I love that it's um what happened to you because it's such a great um reminder for empathy not just for other people but for yourself Mm. and that's something that obviously we all need a little bit more of particularly at this time so thank you so much again James it's been so wonderful talking to you
1: yeah thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the wonderful Jamie, learning all about the breath and trauma and the need for us to get rid of this idea around toxic masculinity and just all be vulnerable as humans from the experiences and struggles we all go through. If you did enjoy the episode, then do tag us in your stories on social media. Let us know. We would love to hear from you. And as I said, as wonderful listeners, I want to thank you so much for your support on the podcast and offer you this gift this month of one month three in the membership. The link will be in the show notes and all you have to do is put the code calm 100 in at checkout stay tuned for next week I have an incredible guest Sophie Elwes who really just has such an inspiring story so you want to be around for that one have a wonderful day